Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. Hi, everybody. Welcome into the Sports Center special. Glad you're with us. Trey Wingo here with Jeff Saturday, Lewis Riddick, Adam Schefter, and Chris Mortensen. All about what happens every Monday after the end of the regular season. Coaches get fired. It's not something we revel in. It's not something we enjoy, but it is part of the job, and it's a constant change. And right now we're looking at basically 25% of the coaches that started in 2018 are not going to be back in 2019, and it could go even higher at that point. So let's start with the news we know. Let's start with you, Mort. Steve Wilkes, one and done in Arizona. One and done after a 3-13 and season, and informed by Michael Bidwell, the owner and general manager Steve Kime, that it was one and done, in part because they did they felt their personnel was better than the record, 3-13. and We'll talk about this later, yeah. but this is one that I think has created the most controversy inside the league. Absolutely, and uh, there's a lot of reasons to to question that move there in Arizona. Uh, meanwhile, then it is Marvin Lewis, a mutual agreement, Adam, for yeah. him to step away. Listen, they've talked about his situation in Cincinnati after the end of each recent season. And it's interesting because going into the season, he believed that this would be his final season in Cincinnati. The Bengals' season deteriorated so much with all the injuries, I think that he decided he wanted to move on, they wanted to move on, everybody moves on right now. 16 seasons, a lot of success, but no playoff wins. Mort, Dirk Cutter out after three seasons in Tampa. When they fired Lovey Smith in 20, after 2015, they looked at Dirk Cutter and said, okay, we've got this young quarterback, Jameis Winston. You had success with him in that first year. We want to keep this going between you and Jameis. And Jameis crashed, and so has Dirk Cutter after a couple of 5 and 11 seasons following that first first good run. And then, of course, in New York, no surprise here, Adam Todd Bowles out after four seasons. Yeah, Trey, I think this is another one of those leftover hires like Marvin Lewis where you talked about last year him being let go, was retained for another year, and then they let him go this year. There was no secret around New York or the NFL that this was going to be the end. Todd Bowles knew it, and basically last night, Christopher Johnson, Mike McCagnan went to him, and they decided to let him go, parting ways, and Mike McCagnan stays on as the GM. Ten wins his first year, never got back there since, and then Adam Gase out in Miami after three. That's right, and, and as you know, he went to the playoffs his first season with the 10-6 and six record, but after that, it went downhill, and when it re- ended with a resounding 42-17 loss in Buffalo on Sunday, owner Steve Ross, on that flight home, according to Ross, said, I've had enough. I'm going to shake this whole thing up. And Gase is out uh, on the streets. Unemployed? We'll see if he's unemployed for long. And then Vance Joseph, who came from out of Gase's staff in Miami, went to Denver. He's gone after just two seasons. A name that came up at the end of last year. We wondered whether he would be kept on. He was another coach let go after this year. Again, the Broncos wanted to take their franchise in a different direction after they had their first back-to-back losing seasons in 46 years. That is not all Vance Joseph's fault. No, it isn't. But he's the head coach. He gets the credit. He gets the blame. And today, he gets the pink slip. He will be thrust into the market. I would imagine the Bengals will be a logical landing spot for him as potential head coaching candidate, defensive coordinator. He's worked there before. They like him there. We'll see if he gets another interview. By the way, we are waiting to hear from John Elway, uh, the president of football operations for the Denver Broncos, and basically the guy in charge of all this stuff who brought in Vance Joseph after uh, everything else went sour uh, in Denver. So 
as John Elway gets set to, to make his remarks in just a little bit, well, hold on, here comes John Elway right now. So we were going to talk about what John Elway might say. Why don't we instead listen in <laughs> to what John Elway is saying after announcing you know that, that Vance Joseph is out. Coach Go is always difficult, especially a guy like Vance Joseph, who I enjoyed working with. Ultimately, it was not good enough. We didn't, we didn't win enough games. And, uh, you know, I had a great talk with Vance this morning. But I will say this about Vance. Vance is a good man, and he worked his tail off. And unfortunately, we didn't get it done. And so, you know, we didn't win enough football games, and ultimately that's what we, that's what we have to do. I will say this, that when you, when you go through these type things and, and we look at uh, everybody's going to be looking for responsibility, you know, it's our job as individuals and really my job of what I do and the way I look at this is the first guy I look at is a guy in the mirror, and that's me. And I'm just as responsible for this, if not more than anybody else, because it's my job to make sure that we win more football games. And so I take full responsibility for that. I will do the best I can, continue to do the best I can, knowing that we're going to try to win football games and we're going to try to compete for world championships. That's what I'm about. I hate to lose. I hate it more now than I ever have. And we're going to do everything we can to get us back on track and get us winning football games and getting back and competing for world championships. And that's what, that's what we got to do. But we've got to take it one step at a time. This is the first step. And uh, as I said, we're all going to look at ourselves in the mirror and figure out how we can all get better. And, uh, and we'll go from there. As far as the coaching search, that's begun today. Uh, we're going to do the best we can to find the right guy to fit in here. We feel like we've got uh, three or four very good candidates, and uh, we'll begin that process today. So with that being said, I will uh, open it up for questions. Please raise your hand. We'll find you the mic. Yeah, John, you just went through this two years ago, and it, the next coach will be four and six years. I guess the question is, are the issues deeper, much deeper than, uh, you know, the coach? Well, I mean, I think that the coach is responsible for a lot, but not for everything, as, as we said. So, as I said, I'm, re- I'm responsible, too. We've got to take a look at ourselves and see what we're doing on the personnel side, try to get better there. Um, and so, you know, we've got to look at it all. We're, the evaluation starts today. We're going to continue to try to get better. That's what we can do. But, the, the, you know, where we start to get better is by looking in the mirror, and that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm going to re- reflect on this year, reflect on the moves that I made last year and the year, couple years before that, see which ones were right, see which ones were wrong, and evaluate them. And that's the only way I can get better. And my goal is to continue to get better. So um, I will do that, and our staff's going to do that. And so we'll start with it there. You, you talk about you know the head coaches. I think that, um, you know, First one was, you know, mutual between John and I. Decided to go a different direction. You know, we hired Gary, and won the Super Bowl the next year. So I would say that I thought that that was, you know, a decent decision there. You know, obviously, Gary had the, the health issues, and uh, you know, then we haven't done well the last two years, and so that has to get better. So, you know, it's not all on the head coach, but the head coach again is going to be a big part of it. John, in talking to some of the players in the locker room, the veterans especially, they mentioned they used the word evolve. This team needs to evolve, especially offensively. Do you feel like there needs to be maybe a more of a seismic shift on that side of the side of the ball, given the where it's landed statistically the last couple of years? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think, and especially if you look at where the rules are going, 
the rules were getting shifted to the offensive side too, you know, and I think that uh, we've relied on our defense for a long time. You know, and I think that we're still going to rely on the defense, but we definitely have to get better on the offensive side. And so, and that starts with some continuity. You know, it's going to be very important for us to get some continuity on the offensive side. This will be our fourth system in four years, right? So that is something that we're really going to concentrate is getting some continuity. And that's what comes with, you know, the same system and finding the right guys. So, um, you know, that's going to be a big part of it. Hey, John, what are the top two or three attributes you'll be looking for in the new head coach? Well, I want, them to be, I want them to be great on one side of the ball or great at what they do, whatever position that may be, whether it be a coordinator or wh- whatever they've done. I look for greatness on that side. I think that, uh, to me, I look for experience. You know, I want the guys that uh, understand the game, they understand uh, X's and O's, but also have the ability to lead men. And that's a big part of it in today's world. So um, those are the you know, number two, two things that I look for. You know, and there's going to be a feel for it because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that go in a head coach that's, that's a head coach that it's a feel thing. And, uh, you know, we're going to try to find that guy with that it factor that can make those right decisions and also lead men. So, um, you know, we're, we're confident that we can find that guy. All right, so John Elway asking some questions about a fourth coach in Denver in six years, saying continuity is key when he's firing someone after two. I, I, I mean, it's sort of a mixed message. I understand that. Um, but l- let me ask you guys in general, because John Elway has been the constant here for a long time, through Tebow mania, through John Fox, through getting the greatest free agent of all time, arguably in Peyton Manning and the record-setting success he had those years. And since that time, it hasn't been great. So how much of this, like he said, it's not just the coach, it's everybody. How much is on the people that are still in Denver right now? Well, he didn't hire uh, Josh McDaniels, who drafted Tim Tebow, but he, he was there for that year of he Tebow was mania. Tebow mania. He was there. But you know, he speaks to the quarterback position. Here's John Elway, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. No argument about that, Hall of Famer. But think about the quarterbacks he has drafted. Correct. Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch, or signed Case Keenum. Peyton Manning was the difference maker. And Absolutely. I think Peyton, not just in terms of performance, but also in terms of leadership in the locker room, in the command. And then Gary Kubiak, what he's trying to say is that Gary got sick. Right. And so you know, he wasn't anticipating that move. And that sounded to me like his out as of not taking the blame, as much of the blame for this as I think we would say he deserves. I'm talking about John Elway. And really, just to boil it down, it is a quarterback league. Correct. And so after Peyton Manning... They've just gone through a whole bunch of quarterbacks. Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch. Yeah, I forgot about Case Trevor. Keenum. Case Keenum. So when you are unstable at that spot and not productive at that spot, you're not going to win. And if you're not going to win, yeah. the coach isn't going to stay. And that's why they've been through four head coaches in six years. Well, let's say, what's, you met the kid at Buffalo, the, the tall quarterback out of Buffalo. Let's not draft him because they tried Brock Osweiler, who's yes. Eight. Eight. Yeah, yeah. Six eight. They tried Paxton Lynch, who's six eight. Seven. Yeah, exactly. That hasn't worked. Okay, sure. so let's not go for the tallest quarterback anymore. Lewis, as you see the structure of the organization in Denver, yeah. what needs to change for you for them to get back to their winning ways? Again, first time losing seasons back to back in forty six years. Well, I think the most important thing, you know, whenever they ask coaches questions about what kind of, or rather GMs questions about what kind of coach are they looking for, I'm always intrigued by that answer because guys give a lot of, like, very generic answers about it. And quite honestly, I think that's how, how they think about it. You heard him say kind of it's like it's kind of a feel thing. It's a, it's a relationship thing. Yeah, I get that. But you know what? 
it's interesting. He, he better right now, as far as resetting this organization, in my opinion, find someone who's not just really, he's had a specialist on one side of the ball or the other. How about a guy who's a great teacher, not just of players, but of coaches themselves there that can go. coach yeah. every position? Mm-hmm. A guy who can actually sit here and go, look, a head coach to me should be someone who, if one of the coaches went down, I don't care what side of the ball it is, he could fill in and say, you know what, I'll take over this position. Right. Just right. for a time, for the time being, so I can find someone else. Not just a specialist. A guy who can teach other coaches teach players, correct players, relate to players, a guy who can implement a system that you as the team builder have in your mind. So, look, I'll tell you what, when Vance Joseph doesn't carry out what John Elway wants, that's John Elway's fault because he was the one who, when you hire the coach, all the coach is doing is really kind of – he's executing the kind of philosophy and the vision that you have for the football team, right? I mean, that's what he's doing. So when he says, look, a lot of the blame is on him, He's absolutely right, a lot of the blame is on him. So when people ask now, and I understand that GMs aren't going to want to give long, drawn-out answers about what their philosophical beliefs are, but you got to come a little bit better than, I want a specialist on one side of the ball, and it's kind of a feel thing. And I that doesn't sound right when you're, yeah. when you're talking about someone now who's going through so many coaches like this. Mm. Otherwise... Maybe you should be the one who's kind of up here on the ticker. Exactly. All right? And they should be replacing you. Yeah. That's four, just a fact. Four, co- four coaches in. The next guy coming in understands you've survived. Right. You continue to survive. And, and you and I speak about this all the time. Right. When, you, when you're trying to create this relationship with a new coach coming in, you're, you're the only piece that's staying in place. And if it's a every two-year role, that makes you very uncomfortable. How much time can I, can I get in to implement your system? Sure. And to your point, when you get coaches in a locker room, they have have, when you when you approach the football team, they have to give you confidence right. that they're going to be here. He talked about stability. Well, guess what? Two years in a row doesn't let any player feel stable, doesn't let any coach feel stable. And he says, yeah, yeah, I, I'm as responsible. But you're not held accountable. You just mm. held Vance Joseph accountable, right? You call, He's sure. gone. You, you, okay, you may be responsible, but where's the accountability on it? Either I need to change my role, I'm not good at my job, own something. Don't continue to pass it on in, hey, well, I made one good decision and Gary Kubiak, he got sick, so he's out. I've always had an issue with when team builders have multiple shots to hire coaches because what you're saying is I have the ability to kind of separate myself from you and say it was more you than it was me. When we all know if you go through a calendar year, there really is no time where you're really separated from the coaching staff. It's always we. But we should always be we. And we've seen some GMs who are now leading multiple searches for themselves. John is in a different spot just because of the level of respect that he has in that city, the level of standing. Is there going to be criticism now that it's his fourth head coach in six? Yes. But because of who he is and because of what he's meant to that organization, he's given, right or wrong, more leeway than other decision makers would let, be. Yeah. Let, yes. let me say this about Peyton Manning, too, because we're going to take credit. Peyton Manning changed the culture in Denver. That wasn't John Elway. That's not John Fox. I played with the guy. 30, he is the coach in the locker room. He's the guy that changed the dynamic of that team and that city, in all honesty. Now, I'm not trying to get – I'm telling you, when that guy walks in the room, everybody is held to a different level of accountability. That includes coaches, general managers, everybody. <laughs> this guy's not walking in just receiving. He is giving out and placing orders. That's why it works so well in Denver. I know you know him better than anybody. Maybe not you, but you play with him all these years. Would he have any interest in a front office role in that, that situation? I, I don't I, I, He would be really good at it. Yeah. I can tell you this. And he would hold himself. File that away for later. Yeah, put yeah. that one in. All right. By the way, Elway also said Adam Gase, who came to uh, Miami from Denver, uh, says he's not a candidate this time. 
Wow. Not a candidate this time, so we'll see what happens there. So it was a short stay for Vance Joseph in Denver. Meanwhile, a much longer stay has come to an end in Cincinnati. The Bengals have officially announced that the organization and head coach Marvin Lewis have mutually decided to part ways after 16 seasons. And let us not forget, before Marvin got there, they were the Bungles. They were the equivalent of the Browns before this year, but they never got that playoff win. Here's Marvin Lewis. I didn't deliver what the, your number one goal is, and that's to be world champions. And uh, we did not get that done. So there's a lot of, been a lot of positives, but uh, that's the one goal as a coach that you look forward to doing. So, And I just think uh, Mike and I both decided it's, it's, it's time. Do you want to continue coaching? I do. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think if the things were correct, yeah. Would you like to see Hugh in the mix to take over here? I, I think you would be... Uh, uh, should get an opportunity to, to speak with them. I think he's more than qualified. Um, I think he's been in a c- couple of difficult situations. And, uh, you know, and, and that's tough. And, and it hasn't broke his way. But I think he's an excellent football coach. He's a great motivator. And, and so I think he, you know, he deserves an opportunity, if not here, somewhere else. Well, I certainly res- we think we respect Marvin trying to speak up for his guys. If you look at Hugh's record, I- you could make a case that he didn't, Lewis, get a really fair shot in Oakland. You can make a case he had a more than a fair shot in Cleveland, and the results just weren't there. But come on now. From a media perspective, Hugh Jackson playing the Browns twice a year? We like that. We, 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 we there like are storylines, so and then there's that. the story. Listen, one thing I must say about, about Marvin. There, there were a couple of years where I, I think they would have had a chance to win in the playoffs, and they, they got hit with the injury bug right before they went into the playoffs. But he did stabilize that franchise. There's no, no question, question, about question about that. question about that. And the but fact 0 that for 7 in the co- postseason is a tough one to get The fact that he wants to coach again, I do think, considering the coaching pool, he should be in some consideration for some of these jobs. I think jobs. he will get interviews. Yeah. And again, people have to remember. 60 years old. Well, right. well, what's wrong with that? Nothing. I'm just <laughs> stating it for the record. <laughs> Look, I'm fast approaching. I get it. Let me say, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, it's, it's very subjective <laughs> when people say, look, I think this guy deserves another chance. This guy deserves another chance. And we know that under the previous regime in Cleveland, it wasn't like, let's just say it wasn't set up ideally for success there. Right. Fair. We'll, we'll, we'll give him that. But, you know, there, there's three things I'll always come back to when, when you're talking about leadership and you're talking about coaches in particular. You better be credible, you better be competent, and you better have a positive impact on others. I think two out of the three there, I don't think Hugh Jackson is kind of blowing the roof off the house, you know, as far as being credible and maybe being someone who's had mm-hmm. a positive impact on others. Okay? Well, I can think of one play- quarterback okay? who would some agree with you. Exactly. Some of his <laughs> own players are saying this. This isn't yeah. me saying I'm saying this. Let's just look at what's happened there. Yeah. As far as his competency, as far as coaching the game, Sure, I'm not going to question that. I'm not going to question he's, that at he's all. He's called great games sure, before in Cincinnati. Exactly. That, but that's see, no I mean, debate. See, th- those kinds of things, though, when, when people start now pining for other individuals as far as getting out other opportunities, I mean, let's be a little bit more objective about this here, and let's really kind of look at this, you know, let's, go, let's deep dive into this when you start doing this kind of things, because these are the kind of things that actually keep other coaches who are qualified, who deserve chances, who are credible, who are competent, who could have a positive impact, they keep them suppressed. They keep them down here, and they don't ever get a chance to have – you know, some of the opportunities. What has been the rhetoric surrounding this hiring cycle? There aren't a whole lot of good coaches out there. Right. There aren't any good coaches out there. There aren't any good coaches. Out- what does that mean? Mm. How do you know that there aren't? If it, if it, just because a name isn't being circulated because people aren't saying the same names over and over again. Does it, there's some great coaches out here that, quite honestly, if you're a GM right now looking, you're just going to have to do your work. 
We well, had to go look well, for it. Give me some of those names well, that maybe we're not talking about. Well, uh, you know what? I, let me just say this. Yeah. I think in the, coach, in the college coaching ranks in particular, there are some fascinating names. Lincoln Riley names. to me. Right now, there are some fascinating the names, okay? Agreed. Coach who they just hired at Ohio State, Ryan Day. Ryan Day. Yeah. Just watch his tape and watch how Ohio State attacks on offense. And you tell me now if we could go a little bit further then and figure out what kind of teacher he is, what kind of man he is, what kind of leader he is, all the other things you have to figure out. Right. How organized he is, how he would adapt to the pro game. But from a pure X's and O's standpoint and from the things that I have found out on my own about this guy, there's plenty. That's a – why isn't he someone that we aren't talking about in the same vein as Lincoln Riley? Well, I think there okay. are about a half well, dozen. More co- success with Lincoln well, sure, Riley as a sure. head coach. I, mean. I think there's about a half dozen college guys that are going to get a pretty good look here, or, or get a look at the very least, and him being one of them. And and I would say, you know, we know David Shaw, who's resisted. Everybody Matt Rule from yeah. Baylor, Matt, Matt Campbell, Campbell from Iowa State, Jeff Brown from Purdue. You know, as you mentioned, Ryan Day. Those guys, I think, are going to get some looks. But let's not forget if we overreact to some of this. Well. Doug Peterson was considered the, the worst hire of that cycle, yeah. and he's the only guy left in that one. Frank and Wright was Bowl. what? Frank right, Wright right. was, was, was an afterthought. Mike Tomlin, who's he? Yeah. I mean, when he was hired. So, we, I, think, yeah, I think we have to be careful you know by what? saying See, that, it's not a very good coach. Mort, Mort, that's a great point you just bring up, though. Look, the, the Doug Peterson comments that were made about him being maybe the worst, the worst hire in the history of football, that's a very dangerous, explosive thing to say about somebody. Yeah. When you, if you've never worked with them, never been coached by them, never interviewed them, never did anything, mm-hmm. but you say those kind of things because those things take on a life of their own then. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, owners are sitting there listening to shows like this, and they're going, oh, is that right? right. And all of a sudden, that name gets pushed way over here. You've got to be careful when you're doing that kind of thing. Yeah. No, listen, this is, mm-hmm. this is a process that has a lot of – obviously, there's not a lot of science to it, right? Because yep. every year we're turning right. over 6, 7, 8. Again, 25 percent of the jobs, 25 percent at this point, and it still may go higher, are going to be new in 2019 as opposed to 2018. Mm. Yep. We'll be doing this again in 2019. <laughs> Mom, I think this doll I found in the attic is cursed. No, its eyes are just very lifelike. Then why does its head keep spinning? Be my friend forever. Oh, that is scary. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's easy-to-use mobile app. You can manage your Geico policy whenever, wherever, wherever. Let's play with another doll. Or we can just bury it deep in the ground. Happy Geico-ween. Download the industry-leading Geico app today. Well, as we continue on this Sports Center special, again, Steve Wilkes out after one year as the Arizona Cardinals head coach. He came over as the defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers and part of the Panthers staff for many, many years. Uh, three and 13. They will have the number one overall pick in the 2019 draft. Obviously not Steve, what Steve Wilkes was hoping for. And on this press coverage from our uh, reporter, Josh Weinfuss on Arizona, this is the quote from Cardinals president Michael Bidwell. Quote, Obviously, I didn't get it right, end quote, on the hiring of Steve Wilkes. I just got to say, as we continue on the SportsCenter special, that's kind of a ridiculous statement to make. Not kind of. How can you possibly know that after one year and handing him a rookie quarterback, what, five games into the season? Of all the firings that we have seen, this is the one that has gotten the most outrage from the coaching's Fraternity. This is the one that bothers them the most. And some executives, and I'll say this, even some owners. And we'll get to the diversity, the minority issue shortly. But in this case, listen, Bill Parcells, I think, was 3-13 and his first, first year. Correct. He almost got fired. He's got a bust in Canton right now. That's right. Tom Landry that went 0-11-1. Chuck, no, and, and so forth. But Steve Wilkes is a guy whose leadership qualities 
have often been praised. I think he could end up back in Carolina with Ron Rivera and then be back in the cycle. But I also know one head coach candidate who probably could have gotten the job ahead of Wilkes last year, who spent about 30 to 60 minutes with the owner and others last year during the interview cycle with the Cardinals and walked away saying, I don't want to coach for that organization. Mm. There are two coaches who were part of that. So two instead of one. All right, so let's, let's go on to the issue that you brought up here because look at the coaches that have been fired or are no longer going to be on the sidelines in 2019. Marvin Lewis and company mutually parted ways. Um, you have Steve Wilkes. You have Vance Joseph. You have Hugh Jackson. You had Todd Bowles. These are all minority candidates, and they are all out the door, and Wilkes is out in one year. Are they? Let's, let's do the math, okay? Jim yeah, Trotter, our friend yes. who used to work here, pointed Correct. out the exact numbers this morning when Roger Goodell took over. As the NFL commissioner back in 2006, there were seven minority head coaches and four minority general managers. Today, once Ozzie Newsom retires, there will be three minority head coaches and one minority general manager. Wow. We're going the wrong way. That is not progress. That is the complete opposite of progress. And the league has tried to do what it can. And the league has many issues. But this is a failing. This is a major failing under Roger Goodell that we could be down to three minority head coaches and one minority general manager. Explain that. Listen, the Fritz Pollard Alliance oversees kind of diversity or certainly interacts with the league. They're not asking for gifts. They're not asking for guys who haven't earned an opportunity. They know that also you're accountable for your wins and losses, but they're asking for Equal opportunity. And in the case of Steve Wilkes, you could say even in Vance Joseph, was those equal opportunities? And the other problem, and Lewis probably should speak to this, is what about the front office? Yeah. It's, it's obviously the statistics bear out the fact that it's an issue. It's a problem. And then you kind of go, well, how can you correct the problem? And look, many have talked about the fact that are minorities being put in positions at the lower ranks in order to ascend to those positions where owners and search firms look for potential head coach and GM candidates? How many director of player personnel, how many vice president of player personnel minorities are there? How many offensive coordinators are there that are minorities? How many quarterback coaches are there that are minorities? Not very many. Mm-hmm. And now why? Why? Are they being directed to other positions? Are they not? I mean, what, what are the reasons? Okay, let, let's just put it this well, way. Well, let me what are the reasons yeah. why they're not being put in those positions? It's hard, okay? And I don't mean to cut you off, Trey. No, it's, no, it's okay. It's hard to tell ownership who to hire, okay? Right. It, it is. You can't force them to hire minorities. But what needs to happen, like I said, at the grassroots level, so to speak, of scouting and or coaching is that minorities have to be encouraged and have to be allowed to be put in a position to earn those positions from which you can then ascend into these prominent positions. All right, so let me, let me ask you a question. As a guy who has been through the interview cycle the last few years sure. uh, with several teams, that's not a secret. That's been out there. Sure. How did you feel like your uh, position as, as a guy who's been on the field, has been in a front office, and has done a great job for us, yeah. by the way, called Jared Goff and the Rams last year, called Patrick Mahomes this year? Sure. How did you feel your interviewing process went in terms of whether it was real or not? I, I had no issues with it. And I'll tell you what, in particular, I, I will tell you this. And I've told many people this when I came back from the Giants interview with Mr. Mara and Mr. Tish and, and Ernie Acorsi, who were all sitting in there at the time. That was as good of a conversation about football as I have had ever in my life mm. with people who are making decisions about 
organizations in the NFL. And I thought it was fair. It was open. It was honest. There were things that I said that I'm sure um, were things that maybe they didn't expect to hear as far as how I felt about their football team and maybe directions that I would have gone with it. But Mr. Mara was always very open and very honest and very like receiving of ideas. And he wanted to have more conversation. There were many times where we one-on-one, it was like we were the only people in the room. And then we went downstairs and had lunch and we talked a little bit more about the team and about how he envisioned this football team getting better. We talked about big picture NFL issues, about, you know, challenges that the league was. To me, like I said, it was one of the best interviews and one of the best conversations I'd ever had. And when I walked out of their train and drove home that night, I felt if that if that is that right there, if everyone is experiencing the interview process that way, then I have no issues. Right. Well, we Simple cer- as that. We certainly hope that is the case going right. forward. And unless these numbers change, this is going to be a problem that the commissioner will probably have to be dealing with maybe all the way up to the Super Bowl, depending sure. on how these things shake out. Appreciate you sharing that Absolutely. story with us, man. Meanwhile, as we continue on this Sports Center special, second year quarterbacks with new head coaches. Sam Darnold's rookie season under Todd Bowles started slow, throwing 14 picks in his first nine games. However, he finished with only one pick in his last four, trending. Josh Rosen's partnership with Steve Wilkes will last only a year. The 10th overall pick out of UCLA completed just 55% of his passes in 2018. But then there was the first overall pick, and that was Baker Mayfield. Uh, He had both Hugh Jackson and Greg Williams as head coaches this year. Did much better with the combination of Greg Williams as his offensive coordinator and Freddie Kitchens as his uh, Fred Kitchens as his offense coordinator, Greg Williams as his head coach. Uh, look at the numbers; uh, they bear it out. Much, much better since the change. Mayfield more than doubled his total QBR and increased his completion percentage by ten points. And most importantly, he went five and three in that eight-game stretch. Mort, uh, Greg Williams did a nice job, and this team really responded since they let go of Hugh Jackson in the season. What are the odds that he sticks around and actually gets the full-time job? Well, I, I think they're more. Unlikely than likely. One thing that John Dorsey, the GM, said today is that their process is going to be a real process. It's going to be a deliberative process. He has a committee. That committee, by the way, just for everybody to clarify, does not include owner Jimmy Haslam. Haslam has charged them to go find a coach and bring one that you would recommend. I think there's eight to ten guys on that list, and Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens will both be interviewed probably tomorrow. I think Williams is being interviewed tomorrow. Okay, and the other in-season hire, or firing rather, was Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. Uh, We've learned that a couple of candidates have already been interviewed or are going to be interviewed. Jim Caldwell, who of course was a head coach with the Colts and took them to the Super Bowl, and then of course was also with the Detroit Lions. Meanwhile, Chuck Pagano also uh, being interviewed. Chuck, of course, uh, time assistant coach and was the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So, Adam, where are we and what Green Bay is doing? They're also put in request today for head coach interviews with Brian Flores, the Patriots defensive coordinator, and Mike Munchak, the Steelers offensive line coach, who players have universally praised as an elite teacher of talent in Green Bay. He's been a head coach before in Tennessee. It didn't work out there for a number of reasons, but it looks like right now that Munchak may get a chance to be a head coach again. Brian Flores is a guy who last year went through a number of interviews, got very hot there during the cycle, and looks like right now with the Packers asking to interview him, the Browns, the Dolphins, there have been a number of teams that have reached out to schedule interviews with Brian Flores as well. Another guy that could wind up with one of these head coaching jobs, Trey. All right, there's a head coaching vacancy there because they decided to part ways with Mike McCarthy in the season. How hot of a commodity will McCarthy be in this job? I think Mike McCarthy is afforded the opportunity to not coach next year if that's what he so chooses. It's going to have to be the right spot at the right time, the right quarterback, or he can just pass because 
when the cycle kicks up again next year and there's seven, eight, nine more openings again next year, as there right. will be, he can pick one of those jobs at that point in time. You don't have to rush to go get one. I think that's one of the comfortable positions that Mike McCarthy has right now. And I'll say this about McCarthy. I played for him in Green Bay my last season. I would say McCarthy, when you talk about a good fit, he fits with a young football team. He does a nice job of when guys come in, promoting them, allowing them to play and develop. He would not be my first choice for a veteran-laden team, right? When Why you go that? in, he, the way that he coaches, coaches basically dictate to the team what's going to happen. Like when I was with the Colts, we were a player-led locker room, right? Tony Dungy, Jim Caldwell, those guys didn't try to lead the football team. They wanted their players to lead it from inside out. McCarthy was not like that. With my experience with him, they wanted to kind of control the the way things are installed, the way things are done. So I think the regiment that he puts together is, is is better suited for a younger football team as opposed to as things string out, getting to veteran-type years. And we always hear about the stories between he and Aaron and what their relationship was like towards the end. It's just harder. I mean, listen, you get – whether you like it or not, veteran players have been around a long time – we like to kind of do things our own way, like everybody yeah. does. As you can, if you're in I'm there, good, 10, bro. 11. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. done this a few times, right? I don't need the rah rah speech. I don't need to get rather. I'm gonna go do my business, and it becomes much more business like. So, in my opinion, McCarthy's a much a much better fit for for a younger football team. To Adam's point, when he gets to pick where he wants to kind of look at and go, say whatever you want about how it ended. But when he was hired in 2008, the only coach in the NFL that had more playoff wins over that time frame than Mike McCarthy was Bill Belichick, yep. and they win all the time. Well, again, as we told you off the top of the show, after three seasons, Adam Gase is out as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He did take the Dolphins to the playoffs in his first year, but the last two years they have come up short, and we expect a lot of changes in Miami, including the quarterback Ryan Tannehill may be moving on. Here's owner Stephen Ross on the move. What I'm not proud of is what we've done on the football field, and uh, that's what I owe to the fans, and I take total responsibility myself. So... Today, in making that decision, I knew when I look at where we are, I think we really have to take a different approach in how we do it. Because what, what you want, what I want, is really sustaining winning seasons and having an organization that is used to winning. Because that's what people in Miami expect. That's what the fans want and the fans deserve. Basically, the thought is we're going to look to really build this organization based on our needs. And if it takes... A year or so, two years, three years, we're going to be there and we're going to be an organization. Just as an aside, as we continue here, not often you see an owner, right, step up and outside of Jerry Jones, who holds a press conference daily, (laughs) uh, you know, the the, the owner is visible on there saying, hey, we did we didn't get this right. We're we're moving on and going forward. So where where are we with Miami? What what's the likely possibilities and where does this franchise need to go? They've changed their entire organizational structure here. Basically, Mike Tannenbaum, who was the executive vice president of football operations, has been reassigned. Chris Greer has been elevated and they've tried to streamline this whole process. So there aren't so many people and so many direct reports to Stephen Ross. I think they're trying to make it simpler with Chris Greer as the GM. The coach reports to Chris Greer. Chris Greer reports to Steve Roth. Whatever, we can't tell that. Now they got to go find a head coach. They have a GM. The GM's been there the entire time mm. during all of this. Yep. So it's now up to him and whoever they decide to bring in as a head coach. And we mentioned that they've reached out to Vic Fangio, the Bears defensive coordinator. They've reached out to Brian Flores, the Patriots defensive coordinator. I'm sure there'll be plenty more names on that list. But I also think that Stephen Ross was 
weighing whether to do this the last couple of weeks and only just recently came to it, so they'll now begin an intensive head coaching search. Yeah, what's interesting here is that they've obviously have decided that Chris Greer, within this kind of dysfunctional organizational reporting structure that they have, didn't have enough influence and that really a lot of the things that were going wrong with this football team weren't really his fault. Otherwise, why would you elevate him to a point, to a position of total oversight if you didn't feel as though he was part of the problem. So therefore, what's the first thing he's going to need to do? Right. Establish a structure as far as who's going to report to him, who are going to be his main lieutenants as far as helping him reconstruct a roster that has holes all through it. That uh, football team that fundamentally is not very tough, does not play very tough, mm-hmm. plays, and, you know, Look, over the past two years, how many times you hear Adam Gase talk about the fact that he didn't have the right kind of players? Every year he, he was shipped se- out a bunch he of players. Se- on exactly, that he was sending somebody down the road every year, going, "We need to shake things up around here. We need to get people. I need to get people's attention." Well, that obviously speaks to what you're talking about, which means they really weren't on the same page as far as what kind of players they were bringing in here and what kind of profile they were looking for. Because it seems like maybe Adam didn't agree with some of the people who were brought in there. Maybe he messed it up. Maybe Chris messed it up. Maybe Mike messed. Who knows who messed it up? But they kept bringing different players at different positions, and they kept the quarterback the same. So in a draft where they're like Baker Mayfield and they're like Josh Allen, they stood pat and took exactly. a defensive back. Yeah. Okay? A good Quite defensive back. A very back. good defensive exactly. back. Exactly. No they don't know where that. to play. But yeah. Sam Darnold wound up in well, the they AFC. They don't know where to, how to use. Sam Darnold wound up in the AFCs. Josh Allen wound up in the AFCs. Josh Allen torched him on the final day of the season. They had a guy that couldn't stay on the football field, who couldn't stay healthy. And now if you don't have a quarterback, again, we're back to that conversation. A guy who struggled to stay healthy, a guy who struggled to be consistent. Now they fire him. Look, there, there's a number. You know, here's well, the thing, though. Here's, here's the only issue I have. Look, I understand how important quarterback is. I get it. I get it. But if you watch Miami's tape and you go position by position and then you look at the, how they play subjectively and you watch it, then you look at statistically how they stack up. They have a lot of problems, Adam, other than just quarterback. Well, to your point, okay. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up. A lot of problems. Because we all love quarterbacks, and it's a, it's a quarterback-driven league. I get it. But the six highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL none right now, the playoffs. none of them are in the playoffs. The two highest-paid defensive players, Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald, they're both in the playoffs. So maybe we don't throw all the cash at the quarterback hey. and try and spread it around a little. There were many times where you watched when you threw the tape on of this team, and you're going, this looks like a team who just quits, a team that doesn't want to play hard, a team that looks very disinterested, a team that isn't coached very well in the defense defensive side of the ball. And, I mean, there's, yeah. there were so many problems with it. Chris Greer has got a lot of work to do. Let's stay in the AFC East and talk about another coach that uh, is out. Actually, we found out last night he was out. Todd Bowles, again, won 10 games his first year there, but four fourth-quarter interceptions in Week 17 stymied their chance of getting into the playoffs, and it hasn't had that success since. Here's Christopher Johnson, the CEO, and GM Mike McAgnon. The buck stops with me. I, I, I think I let the fans down here, and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we get to and win the Super Bowl. Our team is so young and talented. The, the Jets are going to be a good spot, a good landing spot for coaches, good landing spot for free agents. Uh, I'm incredibly excited about the future of the Jets. Well, let's start there. Are they a good landing spot for coaches and free agents? They have, the, they believe they have their franchise quarterback. Sure, they have some. They look, they have some fantastic young players. Yeah. On the defensive side, look, Leonard Williams and Jamal Adams. Mm-hmm. We, we don't need to go any further than that. All right, Sam obviously is a pillar from which to try and surround and build upon. But this isn't a very talented football team. 
Okay, they have their offensive line needs a lot of work. They need a wide receiver one, a true wide receiver one that they can go to and help out this young quarterback. They need really need to solidify the running back position. They need to really build out the rest of the secondary around Jamal. They need somebody else to help Leonard other than just Leonard Williams himself. They need some. I mean, this this is interesting because when when ownership says, "I feel like I let the fans down," and they, you know he's charged now with building a championship level football team. Well, that's not just the coach. The reason why you're talent deficient also has to do with the selection process of the players. So where is the culpability of the general manager as well? Well, a lot of people were surprised that Mike McCagnan was getting another chance and, and, and not out the door with Todd Bowles. And, and, and you're right. And, and, and Sam Darnold is, is said to be the reason why. I will just ask this question rather than answer one. Mm-hmm. How many years in a row have the Patriots won the AFC East? Uh, ten, ten, I believe, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's 16 straight 10-win 10 win, 10 win seasons. But, yeah, there's 10. That's a problem. Right. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a very large roadblock for all of the Something's teams. wrong. Well, again, as we told you on the top of this Sports Center special, Dirk Cutter is out after three years as the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He got that job being promoted as the offensive coordinator in part because of the relationship he and Jameis Winston had during his rookie year, but it never really flourished after that. 5-11 and 11 the Bucks were in each of the last two seasons. There are a lot of decisions that the Bucks have to make. They say they're going to pick up the contract, the fifth-year option for Jameis Winston. It's, what, $24 million? Mm-hmm. But this, this work didn't work because of, they tied it in with him and Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston, as you said, sort of crashed. So where do we go here now? You first, Adam. Well, I think that they need to get a quarterback that's going to bring out the best in Jameis Winston. Again, you know, head, coach. Head, head coach. Head coach. Yeah, head coach. But they've got Todd Monken on staff. You wonder whether or not he'll be kept on there. That becomes a question. They're using the search from Corn Ferry to help them find a head coach. Why do they use a search? Why do they? I, I, can, I expl- can someone explain that to me? Why no, you pay a, 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 a ridiculous sum of money for, to bring you coaches when you're that's your job? The, the you're only, football people. The only sound reason I've ever heard on that is they can do a lot of the background work on the candidates that you're doing. But in terms of them actually being actively involved in selecting your coach, that's the issue for some Owners. And whoever comes in there, they got Jameis Winston. He's not going anywhere. For 2019. For 2019, they believe he's their starting quarterback. They believe he, they can build around him, and they're going to do that with whoever they hire is, as the head coach. Is that the right move? Look, for me, I, look, I, I've said long ago, I, look, I, I'm not someone who's a big believer in Jameis Winston. He's someone yeah. who I didn't really trust, and I, I would have been wanting to move on from him. Now, we'll see what happens here because I'll tell you this. A lot of coaches who, gonna, who come in, whoever the ho- coach who comes in, I would assume he's going to be offensive-driven because that's what they're looking for to see if they can get the best out of Jameis. If he doesn't like Jameis, they're restarting again anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, really, this is a football team that really you're, probably, you're looking at this isn't going to be a short-term fix in, in my estimation. Yeah. Here's the other thing about the Bucs. It's a crazy thing about the franchise. They've never had a quarter that they've signed to a multiple multi-year contract. They've drafted. He's got yeah. a second contract. It's, it's incredible. That's amazing. It's yeah. incredible. That's no. never happened. All right, so a recap of what is happening. Again, eight head coaching changes will be different in 2019 from the start of the 2018 season. That represents 25% of the available jobs. We do this every year, and there's still a very... There's a decent possibility that number could rise over the next couple of days, but we will find that out. That's everything that we've got so far. And then the Raiders, uh, 
Adam, Mike Mayock, former NFL Network analyst and draft specialist, is going to be their new GM. Yeah, they're going to introduce him this afternoon, Trey, at a press conference. John Gruden has long admired Mike Mack. Mike Mack has long admired John Gruden, spent time with the Raiders this summer, and now he will be the successor to Reggie McKenzie. So John's really running the show, so this is just someone, he wants someone to help him with the draft? Is that what we think? Or I think he wants someone to lead personnel decisions. Okay. I think he wants to give him strong influence and input, and we'll see how that works out. we got five first-round five first picks over the next two years. Three in next year alone. This show, like our hands, clean. Thanks for watching.